Well, once upon a time, a woman sets out to discover the meaning of life. So she tries to read everything she can get her hands on, books about philosophy and psychology, religion, history. While she becomes a smart person, she doesn't find the answers that she's looking for. And so she decides to travel to find other smart people and ask them, what's the meaning of life? And yet, as she found out, no one could actually agree on the meaning. Eventually, she hears of an old man who lives in a tiny hut way up on a high mountaintop. I don't know why in the stories it's always the old guy, but there you go. She finds out that this guy apparently has the kind of knowledge and experience that she's looking for, and so she decides to travel, and she goes thousands of miles to go find him. She rides up the mountain, and she begins to climb, and she gets higher and higher until finally she reaches his door. She knocks. The old man answers. And she's out of breath and cold from the journey, and as he opens the door, she said, I've traveled thousands of miles to find you, and I have just one question. What is the meaning of life? Silence. And then the old man says, please, come in and have some tea. The woman is stunned. She said, no, 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 maybe you didn't hear me. And I don't mean to be rude. I didn't come all this way for tea. I came for an answer. What is the meaning of life? The old man replies, we shall have tea. And so she reluctantly follows him inside. And while he brews the tea, the woman begins talking. She tells him about all the books she's read, all the people she's met, all the places that she's traveled to. And he just listens. And then he places a fragile teacup in her hand and begins to pour the tea. The cup fills up, but she doesn't notice. And so the old man keeps pouring and pouring until the tea spills over the sides and onto the floor. At which point she blurts out, what are you doing? It's spilling everywhere. It's full. Stop. Can't you see there's no more room? The old man quietly replied, you came here wanting something from me. But what am I to do? There's no more room in your cup. Come back when it's empty. And then we'll talk. Last week, we started our brand new series called Encounters with Jesus. And over the next number of months, as we head up to our Easter celebration, we're going to jump into a number of stories and conversations that Jesus had with people. These encounters came in all sorts of ways with all sorts of people. But no matter the situation, the circumstances, the unique details surrounding their stories, each person leaves their encounter with Jesus, having been impacted, changed, stretched, imprinted by Jesus' words and actions and love towards them. It's our desire that throughout this series, we're going to have those moments that each of us will encounter and experience Jesus in new and surprising and life-transforming ways. Well, this morning, we're going to look at a story that has affectionately been called Nick at Night. It's the story of a guy named Nicodemus, a guy who has spent his entire lifetime, his career, his education, searching for answers, searching for meaning, wrestling through some of the most important questions in life. And in his encounter with Jesus, he's going to discover that it's really not about having all of these answers that are spilling out of him or over him. It's about having room. 
to experience something more, to be filled this invitation to open his life to Jesus and to step into this new experience called spiritual birth or spiritual life. I want to set this story up with three words, and I'm going to give them to you right off the top. Here they are. Night, spirit, love. Night, spirit, love. I think these three words can help guide us and connect us to the story and also be this catalyst for our own encounter with Jesus. Here's how the story begins. It's from the book of John, chapter 3. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, or teacher, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Let me just pause for a moment. Nicodemus is an important guy in Jesus' day. He's a Pharisee, which means that he is a legal expert and a scholar when it comes to the Jewish faith. He's also part of something called the Jewish Ruling Council, which was essentially a hybrid group of political and religious leaders that had come together that would represent Israel to the Roman Empire. It was a, a place of power and position. And so Nicodemus is a big deal. He is VIP. Nicodemus and the other religious leaders have been closely watching this guy that's recently appeared on the scene, a guy named Jesus. This Jesus is unlike anyone that they've ever seen before. He's a teacher, and yet he uses stories and images that catch people off guard, making them think about God in a new and a surprising way. This Jesus is performing miracles and healings and signs and all sorts of surprising things. He's also interacting with people who were ordinarily written off, who were on the margins of society, people who really didn't have the inside track when it comes to God. And so there's a lot of questions surrounding who this Jesus is and what his message is about. And no doubt Nicodemus had been part of these discussions as well, and he's curious about Jesus. In fact, he has his own set of questions that he wants to ask. And somehow he is able to set up this private meeting with Jesus. And we're given this small but I think important detail in the story. We're told that Nicodemus comes to see Jesus at night. I think it's significant. I think there are all sorts of reasons why he came at night. Some think he came at that time so that his friends and colleagues wouldn't hear about it and wouldn't find out. Almost a secret meeting to protect himself his reputation. Others think it was so that he would have some uninterrupted time alone with Jesus, away from the distractions and the busyness of the day, and he could have some uninterrupted hours where they could get into this deep discussion. Others feel that it, maybe the writer is using a literal night to also create this metaphor for Nicodemus' spiritual faith journey, that he's in a place of darkness or night, but is eventually going to come to light. Honestly, it's probably a combination of all of those. But here's the point, and I think it's also going to be the starting point for every Jesus encounter that we're going to come across in these coming weeks. Jesus meets Nicodemus in the place that he's in, in the moment he finds himself in. You see, over and over again in every Jesus story, every encounter, every conversation, Jesus meets people where they are at in their current reality in their current situation and experience, which I think is so hopeful and hope-filled 
to know that Jesus meets us where we are in our lives. There's no strings attached, no explanations needed, no conditions, but simply in the moment as we are. For Nicodemus, his was in a place of searching, having questions, trying to figure out who this Jesus is and what he's about. Nicodemus is this well-educated guy. He's wealthy and powerful. He's climbed the proverbial ladder of success. He's reached every achievement that he can. He's top of his field. And yet there is also something stirring deep inside of him that just won't let go. He has these questions. He's wrestling through and saying there's got to be more in this search for truth. Well, maybe you're in a Nicodemus type of a moment today where you're beginning perhaps to take some first steps in a spiritual journey just trying to figure out who this Jesus is. Or maybe like Nicodemus, you grew up in a church culture. You've had a lot of religious experience and knowledge, and you could probably recite all the answers that you've been given. And yet maybe you're in a place where you're not sure now how it all fits together, or whether you even believe it all anymore. And it can make you feel alone and maybe in the dark. Maybe you're in a part of the faith journey and you've been on it for a long time and yet you find yourself now in a season of wrestling with questions or doubts or things that maybe you never even saw coming and now you're in this place that is perhaps keeping you up at night or you're wrestling through something and you desperately want those thoughts, those questions to settle down inside of you. Maybe your life is so full of other things that, and whether those are distractions or situations, challenges, whatever it is, that it has filled up your teacup so much that there is no room left for something new that Jesus might want to do. But no matter where you find yourself in this story, I want you to hear this this morning. You are not alone. There are people sitting all around you right now who are having that same type of experience. You're not alone. Jesus is waiting for you. He is waiting for me in this moment, as you are. He's waiting in every Nicodemus-type moment, especially in those searching and questioning times. Jesus is there. I know this is something I have to keep reminding myself about. I've shared over the last number of months the type of season that we are in, this night season that I found myself in wrestling through questions and doubts and loneliness and unsettledness. And yet, as I've shared over and over again, I'm becoming aware and continuing to remind myself that Jesus is here in my moment, in this moment, exactly where I am. And even though I can't see much light right now, I also know it's the starting point for a new experience with Jesus. And that's what keeps me going. And so that first word, night, shows us that a Jesus encounter happens in the moment that we find ourselves in, including maybe especially in the dark and the lonely ones. Here's the second word, spirit. Jesus says this to Nicodemus, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus replies, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. 
You shouldn't be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Destin Sandlin is the host of a YouTube series called Smarter Every Day. And a few years ago, one of his friends created a backwards bike. It's a normal bike, except for one small change. When you turn the handlebars to the left, the wheel turns right. When you turn the handlebars to the right, the wheel turns left. Sounds simple enough, doesn't it? You should be able to figure this out because once you know how to ride a bike, it just kind of gets locked into your memory. You have that muscle memory. You have the skill set locked in. You never forget. Don't we say it's like riding a bike? Only it isn't. Take a look at what happens when Destin tries to get on the bike for the first time. He couldn't do it. And when he took this bike on tour, challenging other people to do it, they couldn't either. And here's why. And I'm not a scientist, so please bear with me with the oversimplification here. So one part of his brain, the cerebellum at the back here, had all of his previous bike experience and information and knowledge stored there. It holds the stuff you don't need to consciously think about. When you try to add something new, that affects the cerebrum, which is at the front, which is the part of the brain that directs what you are consciously aware of. And so the part of Destin's brain that was functioning out of his previous experiences, his previous knowledge, was telling the other part of the brain, you can't do this new action because it doesn't make sense. This isn't how you ride a bike. And so he kept falling off. But he was determined. And long story short, after eight months of practicing every single day, he finally was able to rewire the neural pathways in his brain that had been mapped out previously. And he actually learned how to ride the bike. Take a look. Isn't that crazy? Here's the point. He literally had to unlearn how to ride a bike before he could learn how to ride this new bike. He had to unlearn before he could learn. So what does that have to do with Nicodemus or with us? That is a great question. Thank you for asking. Jesus gives this invitation to a new life that brings and births a person into this reality called the kingdom of God. It's a new way of experiencing God, a new relationship and connection, a new way of living and being. But here's the catch. You can't enter it with the old patterns, the old thinking, the old paradigms, the old experiences that are there. You can't figure it out on your own. It has to be entered and learned a new way. The only way that you can experience this is like a baby who enters the natural world. 
vulnerable and yet also full of this new life and possibilities and imagination and mystery. Well, that must have blown Nicodemus' mind. Would have been super difficult to understand and accept because after all, he has all of this religious training and experience and this is his job. He's supposed to know all of this. He knows how to think logically. He knows how to figure it out. It's what he's always done. And yet Jesus says to him, this new life, this new relationship doesn't work the way you think it should work. Doesn't look the way you think it should look. In fact, you'll never be able to fit that reality and that truth into the box you would like to fit it in because God doesn't work that way. And you can't contain him. New life, this new birth is a work of God's own spirit and breath. Just like you can't predict or tame the wind, You can't figure this out on your own. You can't make spiritual life, this awakening in you, happen by yourself or through your own efforts or ideas because God's spirit cannot be caged or tamed. The early Christians in Ireland had a fabulous name for the Holy Spirit. They called him the wild goose. I love that imagery. God cannot be put into a cage or an idea or a box that we come up with. He can only be experienced when we allow him to move over us like a wind, like a breeze that's coming off the ocean. It's a staggering moment for Nicodemus. He's never heard anything like this before, and it begins to shift what he's known. In some ways, it's his emptying the teacup moment, or you could say it's his unlearning to ride a bike moment. Nicodemus, you can't Do this on your own. You need to empty your cup, your life of what you thought you needed to know, and instead make room for this new thing, this new work of the Spirit, this new birth, his life and breath coming into you. You need to let go of those perceptions, to let go of the things that you have held on to. You need to unlearn some things before you can step into something brand new. Last spring, I shared a little bit of my university experience and how my studies almost derailed me in my own faith. I don't have time to give you the full details of that story, but if it's of interest to you later on, you can uh, take a scan of that QR code and uh, save that link to the message. But here's the two-minute version. I fell in love with academics, learning, and knowledge, just that whole package. I completed my biblical studies major in my first couple of years. And my professors had a big plan for my life. They said, we want you to go on to grad school. Future is yours. They said, you name it, Harvard, Princeton, Yale. All you literally need to do is tell us which one you want to go to and we'll make sure you get in. Well, during this time, I'd become increasingly skeptical in my faith, arrogant in my knowledge and I could feel things shifting deep inside of me because I bought into an identity and a mindset that placed value and worth on what I knew, on knowledge. And my relationship with Jesus just went like this after two years of studying the Bible. And then a couple major events happened that shook me to the core and brought me back to Jesus. But through that experience, I had to unlearn some things and empty some things that I thought were important in life and in my relationship with God. And then I had to learn and relearn what it means to live a life that is centered around Jesus. For me, it was this Nicodemus-type moment and encounter 
with Jesus. And it became this pivotal shift in my spiritual journey. I began to understand that life and my spiritual life wasn't dependent on my knowledge or experience or any of those things, but it was centered around God's spirit breathing inside of me. I summarize that part of my story, my life story, with this phrase, it's not what you know, it's who you know. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And that's what Nicodemus discovers in his encounter with Jesus. Jesus meets us in the moment and place we're in. He invites us to a new life and relationship that is shaped by the breath and movement of God's spirit. And here's the final word I want us to consider today. Ultimately, this is about love. This new life, this new experience, this new relationship, this new birth is centered around God's love. God's love for you and for me and for every single person in the entire universe. Jesus invites Nicodemus and every person in our world to open their lives up to receive this gift of love. And what are the most famous words recorded in our Bible is this amazing truth that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so at the very core of life, of the meaning of life, of how God's story connects to our story is love. It's not about religion. It's not about tradition. It's not about theology or knowledge or miracles or experiences. It can't be approached with our own efforts, our own education, our own knowledge, our own success. God's love is a gift to be received by anyone who opens their heart and their life to him no matter how dark the journey's been, no matter the questions being asked, no matter the doubts that are being wrestled through, no matter the situations or circumstances that you find yourself in, whoever opens their hearts and their lives to God's love is brought into and birthed into this new life. Love is a gift to be received. In a lot of ways, it seems almost too simple. And I'm sure that Nicodemus must have felt that as well. How can the purpose of life be the receiving of God's love? Years ago, the renowned theologian Karl Barth was once asked if he could summarize his theology, if he could summarize the, the literally millions of words that he had written, and if he could summarize all that he had learned into a single sentence. As the story goes, Bart paused and then responded, in the words of a song I learned on my mother's knee, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. The simplicity that all of life is rooted in and connected to God's love is what makes it so powerful and deep and, and transforming in our lives because it doesn't have anything to do with our own achievements or our own knowledge or our own efforts. And we don't have to keep trying to fill our lives with those things that we think are what's most important in order to discover true meaning or purpose or fulfillment or joy. 
we need to empty ourselves and open ourselves so that we can be filled once again with God's incredible love. The invitation Nicodemus has given is the same invitation that is given to you and me today. There are some of you sitting here today and you've never taken that first step in opening your life to Jesus. I believe today can be that day where you say yes to receiving his love for you. And as you say yes, you enter into a new relationship, a new experience, a new birth into God's family. But I don't think it's just a one-time thing. Because probably the vast majority of us at some point in our lives did say yes, and we started this relationship with Jesus. I think there's always an opportunity to respond again, to open up our lives again to Jesus' love and presence. I know I need that for myself. Maybe your life has been filled with all sorts of distractions or questions or things that have pulled you away from God. Maybe you're just barely hanging on right now. Maybe you feel disconnected or dry in your faith or empty. There is no condemnation here. There are no conditions, no bar that you need to reach. Jesus simply asks you and me to come back. To come back. To open our hearts and lives to the work and movement of his spirit nudging us once again to receive his love and grace. A love that is relentlessly pursuing you right now. A love that is relentlessly pursuing you and me in this moment. Let's pray. As we take this to Jesus, I want to encourage you that if you've never opened your heart to him before, that this moment can be that first step. There aren't magic words. There aren't formulas. Jesus simply asks you in your own heart and mind right now to say yes to him. You don't have to have it figured out. You don't need all the answers and everything lined out perfectly. But just to say, Jesus, I'm trusting you in this moment. I am saying yes to receiving that love and that life that you have for me. For many of us, it's taking this moment right now to say yes once again to receiving God's incredible, relentless love for you. And so Jesus, in this moment, I pray that we would open our hearts. I know I need to say that again myself and to say yes to receiving your love for me in this moment as I am. In this nighttime, but it's a work of your spirit. And so we say yes to you and to open our lives to receive that incredible, beautiful gift of love and light and birth into us. We say yes. We say yes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.